0: Welcome to the Sleeping Barber podcast.
1: 20 years ago, NPS came out and it was promised to be this incredible metric, the one number you needed to grow. And as it turns out, maybe not so much. There's a f- whole bunch of false promises. There's a disconnect between NPS and business performance. And today we get into all of that. Enjoy the show. Welcome
0: to the Sleeping Barber podcast, the place for business leaders to get the best and most credible information on marketing, strategy, and innovation. Your hosts, Mark Binkley and Vasilis Duros, share their experiences as they gather insights from the world's leading experts. Now, on with the show.
1: Welcome back to the show. Today, we've got a fascinating topic and an incredible guest to share this uh, topic with. Uh, John Doss is a professor of marketing at the Ehrenberg Bass Institute, uh, who's spent a lot of time on specific areas of research, mainly effects of price promotions, market structure analysis, and repeat buying loyalty. We're going to have a ton of links that we will put into the show notes for you afterwards. But John, um, today we're specifically looking at NPS as a part of the loyalty. It's 20 years since NPS really came out. Yes, And I couldn't be more excited to have this conversation with you.
2: Me too. Thank you. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, this is great. Um, V and I have had this conversation a lot, just about how polarizing MPS is. Yeah. Um, On one hand, it's like this perfect metric because it's so simple. It's one number and it's the number that was promoted really well, I think, way back in the day. The one number everyone needs to measure. Yes. Uh, On the other hand, I, there's like anecdotally so many little pieces of data or evidence or experiences I've had where you kind of go, huh, really? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. what are we measuring yeah, MPS yeah. to do now? And like, it's been, you know, is it really doing the things we thought it's doing? And so um, I know you've dug into this a lot. And so yeah. we're super excited to have this conversation with you. Just to, to start us off, can you tell us about, NPS in general, assuming that you know nobody knew about what NPS is, like just the general right. idea of NPS and how it's measured. Yeah, sure.
2: So it it's it's meant to be a measure of well, in some cases, I, Reicheld, who was the developer of it, said it's a it's a measure of loyalty, um, and he was saying like the ultimate uh, loyalty test for a customer is whether they would recommend you to a friend or colleague. And so the NPS is based on a, 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 a simple question, how likely uh, would you be to recommend firm X, you know, American Airlines or Qantas or, you know, a MOP or whatever to friends or colleagues on a 0 to 10 scale? Um, so it's a willingness right. or a likelihood to recommend question and then they the, the net part comes from basically um, you take the people who um, – gave nine or ten, uh, nine or ten out of ten, and you subtract from then the the proportion of people who gave you zero to six out of ten because they're supposed to be uh, what Reichel called detractors. And so you take one from the other and you get the, the net score and you cut out the people who gave you uh, scores of seven and eight, for instance.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Thanks for that, because it's it's such a funny one too. That often, like the math, on, and I know we'll get into this too later, but it's yeah the promoters minus detractors, and you cut out the stuff in the middle, right? Uh, so
2: yeah, yes, I mean it was it's it's designed to be um, confronting. So the 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 argument right. has been, um, you know, from say insights managers in in corporations, you know, and they come back and they report. You know, like our satisfaction score is, uh, I don't know, 6.2 out of 7 or mm-hmm. whatever it is, <clears throat> which arguably it's, its you know, that's not that exciting. Or, um, you know, we've got 45% of customers say we're extremely satisfied or, or satisfied, which, you know, sounds good, but it's, it's maybe a little bit mundane. Um, and, of course, most... Right say for instance, satisfaction scores for most companies are pretty positive. you know the, the average firm gets like seven, seven and a bit out of 10. And so the argument was well that's a bit boring but if I if I create this net score which ranges mm-hmm. from minus a hundred to 100, um, then you know we can have a, a management meeting and, and somebody can get up and say like we scored 10 out of a 100 and people go like, what? Like, my God, like we've got to do something, but it's, it it makes it sound worse than what it is because you've, you've taken your very positive scores and you've, you've detracted, you've, you've, you've subtracted the kind of, well, even some reasonably positive scores. I mean, six out of 10 is not terrible, uh, but you've, you've taken all of them out of it. So it, it makes the score dramatic. And you can get a score like 10 and then, or six or
1: negative 10 or negative six. And it's dramatic and you have to do something. Um, or you feel like you have to do something.
2: That's right it it, it it forces managers to at least say okay we need to we need to do something about that um, And you know un- unfortunately what that um, scoring method does, um, you know converting scores from minus 100 to 100 um, it unfortunately and maybe we're skipping ahead but but and unfortunately it makes the scores quite volatile as well because, um, when you start taking some high scores and subtracting low scores from them, what, what that really means is you could have a firm that gets like the same overall, like mean average willing or likelihood to mm-hmm. recommend score of like eight out of 10. But depending on the precise proportion of tens and nines and sevens and sixes or whatever, you could get quite mm-hmm. different NPS scores. You know, you could, you could, have yeah. the, the same. Um, willingness to recommend score of like seven and a half, um, but that could that could result in net promoter scores of I don't know twenty five to fifty five, something like that. And so with the, right. that, that means the scores kind of bounce around a lot. So if you're a if you're a market research manager, this is quite challenging because you know when the scores go up, everybody goes you know hooray, but it it could just be you got a slightly different fraction of nines or tens in your survey. Um, mm. And then they're going to crash down again next time. And and you're going to be under pressure <laughs> to explain why. So uh, it's, it, it can right. make it a problematic tool from the point of view of just consistency. Um, and this was, it was like noticing that um, because I was doing some work for, for uh, one of the Ehrenberg bass uh, sponsors some years ago. And, you know, we were just reviewing some of the metrics that they used, and I just, I just was looking through this trench of data and 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 reports, and noticed well, like, here are some Net Promoter scores for this firm and some competitors, but they had also reported the mean average willingness to recommend scores, and I thought, well, why, why is there, you know, like such a little difference in the mean likelihood to recommend scores? Aren't they only vary from like, I don't know, like seven to eight and a half out of 10 yet the yet on the net promoter the 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 brands or the firms were varying like wildly by 50 percent and it was then i realized there's something wrong with this metric it's uh it's it's making the scores too um seem too extreme and too volatile
1: Huh. it's fascinating um i before and i will probably come back to that in a little bit too but yeah I mean, just the sheer volume of people that have adopted net Net promoter score is gospel is staggering to me. Yes. And I don't know if you have any stats on that and V feel jump in here. Sure. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah, I mean, it's, it's something like, um, like, like they said, like two thirds of the fortune 500 corporations are using Net promoter, something like that. And it's, wow. It really is a case of like everybody uses it because everybody uses it. Like it's, it's, to their credit um, you know Bain and Satmetrics and the other consultancies that that sell this they they do a very good selling job you know if you if you look at the websites of of the providers of this stuff they they have a very slick selling message um, you know they they make it easy to adopt they've got all the you know systems to um, to track it and report it and integrate it uh, and so on so mm-hmm. it's you know, it's what we would say, it's got high mental and physical availability. Um, but unfortunately, uh, I, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not sure about the, the usefulness necessarily of, of of what firms are buying. So yeah, extremely popular. And of course, as senior execs move from one firm to another, they like to kind of take with them things that they're familiar. So if you know, you, yeah. you get a, a, a new exec from a uh, a bank or an airline or an insurance company that that has been using NPS, then guess what? That's what they want to use now. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, yeah, popularity is not necessarily a, a, a guide to um, quality in, in, in that instance. But maybe it's mm-hmm. it's it's worthwhile saying at this point, um, like it's not, like if if you're a firm that's getting pretty good net promoter scores or you're a firm that has been managing to improve your net promoter score over time. I mean, that's, that's not a bad thing, right? It's, 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 it's fine. Yeah. If, if, if your scores are high or they're getting better, then I I guess that's reflecting some, you know, increase in positive sentiment among your, your customer base or your client Mm -hmm. base. So that's, that's not a bad thing, but the, Mm -hmm. the issue then becomes, well, there are a couple of things. if, if corporations are adopting net promoter, sort of on the promise that um, high or improving net promoter scores correlate with growth, so they're saying if we can drive net promoter right. up, we will grow faster. The the evidence for right. that is like way less than um, settled. Um, and secondly, if you if you adopt NPS the the implicit message of NPS is how will you grow it will be because you've got satisfied customers happy customers who will who are recommending you to others and so it becomes a free recruitment you know it's reflecting you're getting a lot of free recruitment from word of mouth but mm-hmm. there's like there's a big difference between people saying they're willing to recommend you and them actually recommending you mm-hmm. because actual recommendation yeah. depends on a person discerning that oh this other person could actually benefit from me recommending something to them like it's not as if I you know meet my friends for, for dinner on Saturday and say oh hey, you know if I told you about my you know exciting experience with HSBC like pe- people don't do that um, <laughs> so you know it, it, it will it will possibly work if if the topic of I don't know mortgages or Banking. car tires or whatever <laughs> yeah. comes up in conversation, but like it, it, it doesn't doesn't really happen that often. I mean I, I can't think of in the last couple of weeks I can't think of anything that anybody has recommended to me. Um haven't mm-hmm. haven't had those sorts of conversations. So so what that means is you know if you're if you're an your executive team and you buy into the the concept, like okay, high NPS scores means there is a lot of people going to be recommending us, which means we're going to grow because a lot of positive recommendation. It's a it's a false yeah. promise because that positive recommendation yeah. isn't necessarily yeah. happening.
0: Yeah, so this is what's incredibly incredibly interesting about about NPS, and I think when, when we go back, you are bang on. I guess and when you think about like how popular NPS has become, you, you mentioned what two thirds of Fortune five hundred companies are using in some capacity. Yeah, you see it everywhere. You see it, you know, on customer service sales experiences you know monitoring those product reviews i have an experience where they actually used it for employees yes you know and their ability mm-hmm. to kind of like uh, an employee mps score and you know for me mm-hmm. th- that was very difficult because it was hard to understand within what was the actual performance the moment that you start removing the you know the six to to eight all of a sudden it's like well geez those are great scores to have yes. seven and eight at least yes but mm-hmm. we're also seeing it surface in annual reports, yes. So, which means likely CEOs are looking at bonuses or being bonused on on things like that. Yes. Doesn't that mean it can be used in, as, or sorry, can not mean that it is an accurate metric?
2: Good question. I mean, yeah, so one of the studies that I published uh, on this back, it was uh, last year, twenty 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 two. So I... You know, I hunted down a lot of annual reports for a series of, say, US airlines, for instance. Um, quite mm. a few, quite a few US airlines started reporting NPS in their uh, annual reports from about 2012, right. which gave me, mm-hmm. in some cases, quite a nice uh, data series. Um. So yeah, does that? So what does that mean? Well, you know, it means. In the annual report, we've got a figure of, of something like you know our NPS score was 52, and that's better than last year when it was 42. Um, mm-hmm. But the, right. so the the problem is, I think um, while these firms have said you know we want to we want to um, have a, like an executive remuneration package which is based on financial results, yes, but also some kind of like. Softer measures, one of them being, you know, a measure of, of of customer sentiment. And at face value, there's there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, except for I think the inherent flaws in the NPS being that it's, you know, the the way that the net score is constructed, and the fact that it's asking about um, willingness to recommend, which is a potentially confusing uh, metric to people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I did notice in in looking at um, annual reports is they in some cases they stopped reporting it and I think it was because they'd said you know executive bonuses are tied to a suite of performance KPIs and great you know it's it's gone up and it's gone up again and then we'll stop reporting it and I wonder why we would stop reporting it. and the answer is probably because it went back down but we didn't really want to tell shareholders that our net promoter went down from you know 60 to 40 that that doesn't sound very good so it 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 right. it poses a bit of a problem for companies to adopt it publicly um, because mm-hmm. you know they they haven't stopped to think that um, it's fine if we can drive it up, but it can be a little bit maybe embarrassing. And um, what are executives going to mm-hmm. do when when their bonuses are tied to it and it goes down? They're going right. to earn less money, so unhappiness all around.
1: Yeah, it's funny they had a. Similar uh, example that came up a few years ago, but in the opposite, where the company was l- shedding customers a lot. Yeah, but their NPS score was going up. Right, and so I-, I don't know if this is true, but it could have part of it could have been the volatility. Yes, um, but the other part could be just the only people who were sticking around were the ones that were happy, and so even though and so <laughs> oh, like yay everyone's high fiving about the NPS score going up, but then. <laughs> it's not predicting the future growth because that is actually declining. And so is that like, do you see that in your research too? I,
2: I didn't see uh, specific examples of, well, yeah. I mean, there was, there were, there were some cases where, um, you know, tracking the, the NPS score over time and it would be, you know, drifting upwards for instance, but the, the firm's, Revenue mm-hmm. or market share was 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 reasonably flat. So in some cases, yeah, there's this there seems to be a bit mm-hmm. of a a disconnect between between the scores over time and what's happening with with business performance. Um, it's most typically mm-hmm. been shown in you know in simple graphs or you know scatter graphs, which is what um, Reichel did in in the original um, well the article and and the book about the uh, one number you need to grow. Um, and, you know, he basically showed some simple scatter plots, which was the the NPS score on the x-axis and f- firms' growth rates mm-hmm. uh, on the y-axis. And I think he showed a series of about eight or nine of those showing, you know, upward, upward sloping graphs showing, you know, firms with higher NPS tend to have higher growth rates. But as was pointed out by some US researchers soon after that, that came out, they were saying, but hang on, in some cases, the your years for revenue are um, like later, uh, uh, earlier years than what the NPS scores are. And the NPS is meant to be mm-hmm. a predictor of growth. But in some cases, oh, the, the, the data presented by Reichelt, the actual growth was happening a little bit um, like before the NPS scores. Before they the measured NPS. So, it, um, so, yeah, a bit of a problem in, in claiming crazy. that it drives growth when, when it seems to be the other way around. And then the other thing that I picked up I, on was that, yeah, um, wow. you know, they claim to look at hundreds of firms in, you know, a wide range of industries, which kind of makes you wonder, well, why did we only ever see results for maybe eight or 10 industries and, and like quite a small number of firms? Like they, they claimed that, you know, they had a Bain team assemble data on like hundreds of companies yet we've only ever seen the results mm-hmm. for, you know, maybe a couple of dozen. So, is it that perhaps those you know those neat graphs didn't really work in a lot of cases? Mm-hmm. So we've we've perhaps seen some selective like selection use of, bias. Uh, of, of examples. Maybe some selection bias. Yeah, I think so. Possibly, S- certainly something that that Crazy. shows that there is some more work to be done on on trying to understand the link, um, the extent to which there is a link between yeah. between net promoter and future performance. Um, and another factor about that is that. It 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 does seem to be the case that because uh, I've been doing some more work on this um, this year, stitching together um, uh, willingness to recommend scores for um, firms in a bunch of industries in the UK, and I've and I've got matched market share data over time, is that you tend to see like bigger established brands tend to get you know fairly kind of middling net promoter scores but you do tend to sometimes see quite small new entrants with quite high growth rates and they're also Mm -hmm. exhibiting high net promoter or high willingness to recommend scores but i think there's a bit of you know important you know if you so if you put all that together and 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 analyze that with a statistical model you could easily conclude well yeah look net promoter score does seem to be a you know a correlate of growth but it could be it's you know it's because there's a there's a there's a bias introduced because I've got some small new firms that maybe have a different business model. They're growing quickly. They're, they are doing things that customers really like and they're also getting high net promoter mm-hmm. scores. But it's not so much right. the net promoter score is like the lead indicator of growth. It's just they're growing quickly. They've got lots of new customers who are reasonably happy with them and they're giving them high net promoter scores. That's a different message if you're in a, you know an established brand in one of those markets Mm -hmm. that's getting a lower net promoter score you know can I actually even get it higher and even if I could get it higher will that mean that I can necessarily grow at that same fast rate Uh, that's still an open question
1: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah and uh, you know I know it was a few years ago now and I think this is kind of a little bit what you're alluding to but um, you you did look at the correlation between financial reports and correlated back to, to NPS as a whole, what were some of those key findings that you had during that time?
2: Well, um, you know, the overall finding was that net promoter scores didn't seem to be a predictor of growth. It, it more seemed to be the case that they, they accompanied growth. So as the firm Mm. grows, its net promoter score tends to be a bit better, but it's not one happens. It's not like the net promoter goes up, then the firm grows. They tend to grow at the same time. So that could be, you know, if if I'm a firm and I grow and I've acquired some new customers, they're more likely to give me a high net promoter score because, you know, it's a little bit topical. Like, why would I recommend, why would I start recommending a firm that I've been dealing with for the last eight years as opposed to, well, I've just mm-hmm. started dealing with, say, a new bank or a new um, insurance company. Right. That, you know, that's potentially something that I could tell my friends or colleagues about because, you know, it's a new experience for me. So it's, it's possibly that the growth drives the NPS, not the other way around. But also um, the other finding was that past growth seemed to predict future growth better than what the NPS did does so you know this is a little bit, a bit of a flaw with with some of the right. earlier uh, analyses of the relationship between nps and growth is they do a cross section but what they wouldn't account for is past growth right so you know if we say like here are some firms right. that have been growing quickly does them does the net promoter enable them to grow at a different level to what they have done before no not necessarily so so yeah i found past growth was a better predictor of future growth than net promoter scores.
1: Wow. So, so in that sense if you were to say take uh, a sales graph of a com- company x over time yeah. and run a trend line on it or forecast 12 18 24 months in the future that's probably a better indicator of what reality will look like than a net promoter score. I
2: th- I I think I think that is probably the case. Yes. Yeah. Huh. So I, I certainly so, wouldn't so be. Is,
1: so strike one against Net Promoter Score <laughs> that is, yeah. for it being a predictor of growth, which is one of the original claims of it.
2: Yes. Yes. I I don't see evidence that it's a predictor of growth. I mean, you know, there are there are there are some studies that have been published that have been very, um, you know, like very technically well done, uh, and in some cases, you know, mm-hmm. th- there are some that have found, you know, we, we, we construct a, a fairly sophisticated regression model and we try and regress net promoter scores on, like, next quarter's sales or maybe next year's sales. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, they say, you know, it emerges as what, what they'll say is statistically significant, which, which you know, you can't argue mm-hmm. with. Um, but in a lot of cases, it's quite a weak... Kind of weak, quite a weak effect. It's like explaining, you know, maybe two percent of the right. variance in in market share growth. So, you know, if I'm trying to, you know, forecast or predict my how much better will my growth rate be next year, given if I can push my net promoter score up, like it's it's really um, it, it it doesn't really help us much at all in in understanding, you know, you you've been growing at like four point two, so will I grow at four point five? Mm, Four point five plus or minus, you know, um, a, a whole point or something like that. So it it, it doesn't really help mm-hmm. you. And then there are other studies that 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 find uh, there's there's no there's no link. So yeah, really mixed evidence. The evidence that that is there just, is yeah, it's not it, reasonably reasonably weakish. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, so one of the other things that Net Promoter Score promise the original promise of it was that and you touched on this a little bit um yeah that a high mps a nine or a ten somebody who's a promoter is going to give you positive word of mouth yes that's the idea behind it yeah and and therefore the low mps scores somebody's a detractor yes would give you negative word of mouth or wouldn't give you any word of mouth at all right um so
2: Let's talk about does it, that. Does a yeah.
1: detractor actually mean that that did it does, from your research? Can you talk about like what you
2: found with, sure. with regards to that? Yeah. promise of it. Yeah, um, yeah. Good question. So, yeah. So what Reichelt said was, and and again, I think it's to, um, you know, I mean, if, if you if you go back and read Reichelt's, you know, articles around about this time and and the the two thousand and three book, like. You've got to be impressed with the passion, you know. Like he was, he was really mm-hmm. passionate about um, firms doing things to, you know, really delight their customers, um, which which is which is not a bad thing. But he he kind of just made this assumption that, yeah, if people give if if people say they're they're not prepared to recommend you they're giving you like two out of ten or three out of ten or even up to six out of ten then he then he made this simplistic kind of extrapolation well well they're gonna they're gonna badmouth you they're gonna give you negative word of mouth um now that is just an assumption um and in actual fact there's there have been several studies that have examined this and they've found that that people who give low willingness low likelihood to recommend scores they don't necessarily give you um Uh, negative word of mouth. In some cases, there are a lot of uh, cultural uh, contexts and certainly market contexts in which people will give a a low willingness to recommend school because they kind of in their minds, they acknowledge that this is not something I'm necessarily going to talk about. Uh, It's certainly the case that um, Asian respondents are, they tend to give low likelihood to recommend scores because they just feel like I'm putting my reputation on the line too much by recommending a firm to other people. Um, In some market context where there's not not a lot of choice um, or, you know, for instance, like in in medicine, uh, like in the UK, um, you know, people are asked, you know, would you, how likely are you to recommend your, you know, this hospital or this surgeon to other people? And, And people like find that, like a confusing question, because you know, for a lot of medical conditions, you don't necessarily have a choice. It's not as if somebody's going to recommend a course of action to you. It's just, you know, like your doctor is going to tell you what to do. So, yeah, in in lots mm-hmm. of cases, a low willingness to recommend score, it doesn't mean that the person is going to give negative word of mouth. And in actual fact, there was a uh, there was a beautiful um, meme on uh, Facebook uh, that my daughter sent me just yesterday. It was. Um, it was a picture of an NPS survey and and somebody had been asked, how likely are you to recommend Windows 10 to a friend or colleague? And the person had ticked one. And then the question was, you know, why did you give that score? And and it was written, well, I need you to understand that people don't have random conversations with other people about operating systems. So, yeah, I mean, that's That's why I gave a one. It's not because I'm going to detract from windows 10 but just i don't talk about (laughs) operating systems to other people
0: well that was gonna be one of my next questions is what operating system are you running uh john but i guess we're (laughs) gonna just deflect now and go in another direction yeah (laughs) (laughs) Uh, in in all fairness though the kind of like the third thing that nps was uh was kind of well at least it was per was promoted that it's going to do a lot better for measuring customer satisfaction. Right. And um, have you found that there's any proof or to support that claim that, you know, uh, CSAT scores are actually inferior to what NPS is willingness to recommend is
2: right. Um, well, one of the um, sort of landmark studies, I guess on this fairly soon after Reichelt's book came out, there's some, some fairly, um, well-known US academic researchers tried, you know, like they mapped the uh, the NPS data um, and they got corresponding, you know, customer satisfaction data for the same firms and analyzed it right. and, and found the the NPS is not doing any better than customer satisfaction in explaining kind of variation in market share growth. Um, and other studies have, have done the same. So, no, there's 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 no evidence that net promoter, is a better predictor or correlate of, of growth than what customer satisfaction is. And indeed, like the evidence on customer satisfaction itself uh, is extremely mixed. Like um, there are some studies that have found customer satisfaction is a predictor of growth. But again, there are lots of issues with those sorts of studies. So no, um, NPS is not a superior metric to customer satisfaction in explaining or predicting growth and so what I've found is they the two things are correlated so highly uh they're correlated at something like 0.8 or thereabouts so in other words if you've got customer satisfaction scores then the net promoter is not really going to give you a whole lot of additional information because you know let's face it if 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 a customer is you know um not you know, not very satisfied with you, then they'll probably right. also give you a pretty low willingness to recommend score. And if they're very, very happy with you, right. they'll probably, you know, from some sort of halo effect, they'll probably say, you know, yeah, I'd be, you know, I'd be, I'd be willing to recommend. Um, even though the question itself is a little bit confusing because it doesn't sort of, it doesn't ask people like, if a conversation came up on the topic of vacuum cleaners, would you recommend your new vacuum cleaner to a friend or colleague? It's just like, would you recommend (laughs) this new vacuum cleaner to a friend or colleague? And people just think, well, I've just told you that I'm pretty happy with it, so I guess to maintain internal consistency, I'll give a high score on willingness to recommend.
1: Yeah.
0: So, Mark, if I'm counting correctly, that's three strikes, isn't it?
1: Yeah. So, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, so I'm sitting here like just scratching my head, literally, because, I mean, it's not a predictor of growth. It's it's not predicting positive or negative word of mouth. Um, I think, and your point is fascinating be- about how people interpret the question, because some people could just literally interpret it as as it's written. Like, no, I'm not mm-hmm. willing to recommend you. Yeah, and oh, then. Yeah give you a really low score. Like that's just so obvious that when you're in marketing, we understand the context of why we're asking, but the average person might just go, no, I'm not willing. And, and can give you a low score because they're just reading it for what it's yeah. the face value yeah. of the question.
2: Yeah. So, and I then, mean, th- and so, and is- it's
1: also not a, sorry, I was just going to say it's still it's also not a better question than satisfaction. So like I cut you off, but yeah. I know I just, I'm scratching my head. Like, what do you do with this metric? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: I mean, I so I I, I should say that um, like there is there is a there is some level of positive link between uh, willingness to recommend scores and later recommendation, right? But it's Weakish, but positive. So you know, if, if people okay. do give you an eight or nine or a ten or whatever, then they are somewhat more likely to subsequently say something positive. about of, about the brand than somebody who gave a, a two or a two or a three, but it's a, it's a pretty weak link. Right. There are like I think the majority of people who say that they are very, very likely to recommend don't necessarily do so, but, but some do. So it's, it's, it's a weak, but positive reflection of, of um, future word of mouth. I mean, my, my feeling is that if you're a firm and, you know, it's really important to you to understand customer satisfaction, then like ask that, you know, don't ask about willingness to recommend as a proxy for customer satisfaction. And if you're really Mm -hmm. interested in word of mouth and you think you've got some evidence that, you know, word of mouth actually does seem to be quite important to us, you know, for instance, in, for argument's sake, let's suppose you're in corporate banking or something like that. Uh, or, you know, you, you're selling, um, business services to corporations. So you do you know, like corporate accounting and you, and you know that there's, you know, peer networks and, and people do sometimes discuss, you know, you should, you, you know, you should use the, mm-hmm. the people at I use. So you, you know that it plays a role. Then ask about mm-hmm. actual recommendation, not ask about willingness to recommend mm-hmm. So ask people, Like over the last, you know, in the last month, have you had any conversations with friends or colleagues about Mm -hmm. this category, business services or uh, corporate IT or whatever it is? And, you know, Mm -hmm. are there any firms that you've actually recommended? And then that would give you a, 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 you know, a metric such as, you know, in any given month, it seems like like six or seven percent of our clients will actually say something positive to us about a friend or colleague that would mm-hmm. be perhaps a more mm-hmm. useful metric than just like an average willingness to recommend score or a or a, or a net promoter score mm-hmm. I think trying to trying to get an understanding of um, actual levels of word of mouth maybe positive or negative that that mm-hmm. could be a useful metric
1: I suppose it, it would be a it's helpful in the sense that if you get a positive net promoter score from a customer, uh, it it's a signal that you can use to ask them for a review for True. future testimonials or advocacy that you could then use in marketing materials at some other point, or you know, yes. supporting That's... the sales pipeline process or whatever the thing is. Yes, so, yes.
2: So there is a, a supposed value there. Yeah, indeed, and and any sort of um, evaluative metric, you know, you could do that with. You could you could do the same with, say customer satisfaction um and, and, and then uh, you know kind of, oh so you're nine out of ten can you know can um, we can we use a, well, yeah. can we use a testimonial yeah fair. um i mean in some cases um firms will also you know supplement the the nps type question with well why did you give that score uh, and it could be mm-hmm. uh, and that, that could give you some some diagnostics like Okay, why did you why did you only give us six out of ten? You know because the delivery was delayed, or you know I haven't seen your sales rep for two months, or you know you've put your prices up recently, and and that wasn't really negotiated very well with me. So it's it's a reflection of of unhappiness, and yeah, you know you may be able to do something with that, such as uh, it seems to be like the number one problem that we've got is slow service that seems to be what's dragging Mm -hmm. our net promoter scores down and so you could you could try and drill into that and and try and remedy that um but you know you you could get that from other evaluative questions too like you know you can get that from from csat or or customer experience questions as well so there's nothing necessarily magic about reviews yes yes reviews yes well reviews um funny you should mention that um I did, did quite a lot of work on uh, on reviews on, on Google reviews for for one of our sponsors back uh, a couple of years ago, um, and it, you know, it was it was. I mean, we're we're stepping aside from the conversation here a little bit, but you know, we noticed that um, there were you know some brands that got a lot of reviews and they got a lot of positive reviews, and we saw there mm-hmm. were some other smaller brands that seemed to get you know a few negative reviews, but then then they seem to um, you know, fail in the market, and and it took us a while to realize that uh, what was happening was this was you know with a with a big online retailer is that you know if you if you launch a new product and it gets some negative reviews, they'll just take it out of the market. So you know, there's like a selection effect with reviews. Mm. You're only actually the reviews mm. that you observe on things like say Amazon, for instance, are they're the ones that have survived. You know, the the ones with with negative reviews right. tend, tend to have been uh, been delisted.
0: So you, you, you touched on a few things there. So, you know, for us, like just understand that NPS isn't the end all be all metric doesn't predict growth. Like, like Mark um, identified now love to really understand the alternative metrics. So you mentioned CSAT uh, more evaluative questions. Is there any other metrics that organization could be looking at to help answer those questions when it is like, Hey, are we on a growth trajectory? What other things can we look at?
2: Well, okay. That's a really good question. And, I mean, here's the thing, I I, I guess there is, I mean, it is really good to understand the extent to which your existing customer base, you know, is, is happy or satisfied. And they think you're doing good things. Like you, you really need to, you know, like fix that. Like if you've got some problem in that you're getting consistently low scores, then it's, it's signifying there's Mm -hmm. something wrong with your operations that, that needs to be fixed. Um, Beyond that, though, you know, th- th- there's this philosophy and certainly it's it's very strong in, in marketing academia that, you know, the key to unlocking growth is to do things better and better as reflected in things like customer satisfaction, perceived customer value, willingness to recommend, et cetera. However, um, you know, based on, you know, decades of research, the way that firms grow is from acquiring new customers. And so there's an inherent limitation mm-hmm. in kind of like focusing endlessly on how happy are my existing customers with me, and that will tell me how to grow. Well, the answer is no, I need to understand my position among people who don't buy from me, who like who are not customers. Mm-hmm. And so so then you turn to a completely different mindset and you start to think about, well, I need to measure two things, what we call mental availability. In other words, the extent to which I've got like a little place in people's minds across a range of cues that might bring them into the category. So in other words, how likely am I to even be thought of when people come Mm -hmm. into the market for whatever it is, from air travel to banking to buying a car? And then physical availability, Mm -hmm. which is how easy am I to buy And we think, like, it's those two Mm -hmm. things that make the big difference between big and small brands. So, yes, I need to understand how well my existing customers think of me, but I also need to understand my mental and physical availability because they're the things I need to push on to improve, to grow.
1: Love that. Yeah, that's great. Um, the, The. so the, the, it's funny because after all all this research, and you've you've studied a lot of of NPS reports and papers more deeply than I've ever looked at, um, and for sure, and and 100%. in addition to that, all the loyalty stuff that you've been doing, and and the Ehrenberg Bass Institute itself has done a lot of research and great work on market penetration and and all those things, but yet we're still left with this idea that. I guess it is still safer to buy IBM because I'm not going to get fired. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, yeah. like, is there, does it matter? Like, is it, like, for me, it's, it's, I get passionate about it because I'm like, I don't want to measure things that don't make sense.
2: Yeah. I think,
1: but, but, what, like, what is the, the outcome of this?
2: Right. I think the answer is, um, well, okay, a, a, a few things. Um, in our sort of dealings or experiences with um, big corporations that have embraced NPS, we've we've kind of mm-hmm. basically what we'll say these days is, um, look, you, you've got a suite of metrics available to you, but what you need to do is decide like which are the which are the more important ones. And, and which are the less important ones. And it's often the case that right. like the NPS is, has been like sold in and like, it, like it's like the senior executive team have told the board about it, for instance, and the board have gone great. Okay. We're happy right. with that. Do that. And, and that's very hard to undo, right? You don't, you can't go back to the, to the, yeah. the board, you know, 80 minutes later. And so, you know, that metric that we told you was like the greatest thing ever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> <let's>, <laughs> um the only ah, thing we need to measure <laughs> yeah and and so it's 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 naive I suppose or it's it's unlikely to, to you, you can't say to a, a big corporation stop doing that you know like you just just take that away unwind it you, mm-hmm. it's probably not possible but um, it's probably you know you've got to acknowledge that the senior management team have to acknowledge that that's not the North Star metric, for growth, right? You know, if we keep measuring it and maybe it's motivational Mm -hmm. for managers to, you know, see it from time to time and it keeps keeps them trying to push on improving customer service and customer experience and call centers and you know getting sales reps to try and do things the right by do the right things by customers. Fine. But if we want to grow, we need to understand what are the what are the key metrics that are different between us and competitors. And that's more things like mental right. availability, physical availability. And if we're not measuring right. those, then we, we we don't really have metrics that will that will guide us towards growth. So you need to probably, you know, review the suite of metrics that the corporation uses and do a little bit of reprioritizing. Yeah, I love that.
1: Yeah. So much to think about here. Have yeah. You got any other thoughts or questions, V?
0: Man, it, honestly, I, I think Mark, you and both both you and I have always kind of put into question NPS and its true validity in, in organizational settings. And there there's been some organizations that obviously maybe have a, a longer a larger footprint in terms of using it. So they're they're able to kind of correlate in the moment, you know, how a business is currently operating. Yeah. But I think the one thing that I've really taken from our discussion today is that when, when looking at growing your business, you can't just look at these accompanying metrics. So things like your NPS potentially, mm-hmm. and you have to start really focusing on things like the two levers, You know your mental availability and basically your ability to kind of make sure you're top of mind for consumers that haven't thought mm-hmm. about you yet. Yes, And then obviously your, your physical availability. And I think when I think about that in its entirety, I'm just trying to reconcile then if it's not NPS, Then what is the, the, is there another metric outside of, you know, the the customer satisfaction that we can start looking at and say, you know, concretely, here's an opportunity for us. And I I almost, I'm not trying to answer my own question here, but it almost feels like customer satisfaction, if done more robustly, can provide a lot more insights into the operation Mm -hmm. and maybe serve as kind of a predictor. Is that a fair statement?
2: Um. I mean, it, I, I think, I think there's there is certainly a role for customer satisfaction measurement, done well, you know, not overdone, and and that mm-hmm. will help me get an early read on, you know, problems that that need addressing, yeah. um, mm-hmm. but you know we have to recognise that. Um, yeah. Customer satisfaction scores between firms in an industry, like they don't they don't vary that much. They're usually reasonably positive. Uh, like for instance, I think all of the big banks in Australia, for instance, they they all get something like seventy five percent, eighty percent of customers satisfied. That doesn't vary that much mm-hmm. between the brands, and so you know that that and and you know nobody gets ninety five. So I guess then that helps you to understand well you know if i'm if i'm typically getting 78% customer satisfaction if i get to 82 83 84 will that's will that kind of unlock growth for me and the answer is well not necessarily because like let's right. look at our competitors yeah. we we all get about the same um, so that that won't that won't yeah. be it um, it can it, but so it it's a it, it's something to monitor to make sure i'm not doing things poorly but yeah, if I want mm-hmm. to grow, then I need to become better known among people who don't buy me currently to to upweight the probability that yeah. they'll think of me when they come to the market. That's that's the key thing for growth, and that's that's a yeah. change in mindset. For a lot of marketers.
1: It's a huge change because I I think fundamentally, uh, both V. You don't know this, John, but both V. and I just finished our um, MBAs. But part of the f- training that we got through that was a philosophy around brands grow through differentiation and loyalty and so Mm -hmm. like that's two of the fundamental components and so I I can see the draw of NPS because it's it fits squarely in that loyalty space and the idea that we do great work and our clients are Mm going to recommend us and that's how we're going to grow and um, and a differentiation is yep. a whole other thing, and we have to get into that now. But
2: <laughs> yeah, but we, it, we could have another podcast on that sometime.
1: yeah. <laughs> but it's been built into like marketing folklore, I think, and and I think that's yeah. part of the appeal for MPS so that it it came at the right time. They were trying to find ways to measure that, and they're like, "But giddy up, this is a great horse for us to ride." Um, yeah, and
2: yeah. You know, Twenty years well, later. let's
1: it, Maybe not so much, but
2: yeah, yeah. Well, let's just just quickly. Um, I mean, the so the notion that yeah, you're right. Like, how will my firm grow? Well, I'll do things better. My customers will be happier. I'll grow through loyalty, so customers staying longer, buying more, buying more often, etc. Sounds like a neat idea, but you know, it just doesn't match with. Well, like 50 years of research on brand performance metrics, which shows that, you know, the the big difference between big and small brands is the size of the customer base, way less in terms of loyalty. You know, big brands get somewhat more loyalty than yeah. small brands, but but not a lot. Um. So the idea, oh, I can like unilaterally increase my loyalty. Mm, well, no, because there's the double jeopardy, Pattern or law that says you know we can pretty much predict your level of loyalty given your market share in in your industry and secondly just you know just on reflection you think well i've got customers that buy me already they they can't buy that much more like i've got customers that i've got you know 2.1 insurance policies with me at the moment if i'm an insurance company um like, uh, what, I can I can get that up to six? I mean, obviously not. Like, nobody has that many insurance companies. And And if I look at the biggest competitor in the market, they've got 10 times as many customers as me, and their average number of insurance policies per customer is like 2.4. So, okay, if I could get to 2.1, and I could increase that to what the market leader enjoys... Well, it's still only two point four, and I've still got a very small customer base, so I'm I'm still going to be very very small. So there's there's just a constraint. You can only grow so much from ratcheting up loyalty, and that's like even if you can ratchet loyalty up uh, unilaterally, whereas double jeopardy tends to suggest to us that it's it's reasonably predictable from your from from your market share. And yeah, then as we said, the extent to which satisfied and happy customers will recommend me to other people it's nice when it happens but just the overall level of recommendation that happens out in 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 markets is actually reasonably small
0: yeah it, honestly john this has been an, an incredible conversation and you know both mark and i have absolutely loved getting into nps with you love to ask you how can people find out more about you and a lot of the great work that
2: you're doing sure so i'm a um Associate Director of the Ehrenberg Bass Institute, which is the it's actually the the biggest um, research institute uh, devoted to marketing in the world. We're located in Adelaide, Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a, a website, uh, marketingscience.info. That's the public facing website, uh, and there's also a a website for our corporate sponsors who who support our work. Um, so yeah, if you if you just search for Ehrenberg Bass Institute. Uh, you can learn about um, learn about our work. We have actually um, a, a new um, public access paper that's just been um, published on the topic of uh, brand growth potential. So maybe that's a that's, hmm. that's a good one for for perhaps people to to, to look at. Um, it's a, a paper published in a journal called Marketing Letters, and it, and it discusses the idea that um, you know heavy buyers account for a lot of today's sales, but to what extent do they represent an avenue or a potential for growth? Uh, and we analyzed a, a lot of data to to determine that they're actually a, a minor source of future growth, that the, the bulk of growth will sure. come from, from non-buyers. Um, we'll add that to the show notes for sure. Yes. And also probably um, the book, How Brands Grow, kind of illustrates uh, and discusses a lot of the ideas that we've talked about in the podcast.
0: Amazing. John, this has been great. So, thank you very much for your time.
2: My pleasure.
1: Just before we get to the post pod with V and I, I'd like to take a second and just ask to see if you can leave a review. We are always looking for ways to make this show better, and really love your feedback. What time is it? (laughs) It's post pod time. (laughs) Oh, this is fun.
0: We're going to have to probably turn that down. I was
1: about to do the peeper, peeper, peeper that you did the last time. But then I was like, oh, you put me on the spot. I can't just copy that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Another great
0: conversation. NPS, everyone's favorite favorite topic. There we go. Use English, V. Come on. You can do it.
1: Yeah. Well, it's like now we know it's 67%. uh, Two-thirds of Fortune 500 companies are using it
0: wow I was blown away with that yeah
1: it's a lot of people
0: yeah man it's yeah it's a lot of people it's crazy and um I think the I think going through the three strike rule <laughs> um just I think we quickly realized that you know NPS probably doesn't have I gotta I guess a, you know what I can just say it it's probably not a great metric to be to actually start monitoring, uh, consistently when you can probably lean on other areas to really kind of get a sense of, you know, how your product is doing, how your customer service is shaping Mm -hmm. up, et cetera. Like it's an expensive, it's an expensive tool to find ways to implement.
1: Yeah. Well, and like, it's not specific enough. I mean, there's a ton of variability that John pointed out. Yeah. But the other one is like, you pointed this out, V. I thought it was great. I mean, there's so many things that people uh, measure through MPS. And so the question, it's not even measurement through MPS that's the problem. It's the question itself. Like, how willing are you to recommend blank to, you know, your friends and family? Yeah. Like, when you're being asked that after like a a checkout experience (laughs) on on an e-com site, like no, I, I, I'm not going to recommend this checkout experience because I don't really care that much. You know what I mean? Like there's, be specific, ask the thing you want to ask, not just some default question.
0: Yeah. And I think that's like, that was a good push on, on your side as well, because it's it's really kind of, what are we actually trying to find out in this moment? And language is important. So this willingness to recommend can be interpreted so many different ways. I could have had a great experience, totally. But I'm still not going to recommend you, just because I don't want to. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, and that's okay. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that's where I struggle with this metric and how it's it's used. And I have to be honest, like when we used it as a, as a way to gauge how you're performing in an organization, it was mm-hmm. the absolute worst because all of all of a sudden. It would kind of created this like this mean where everyone was just kind of in the middle. Your high performers were all in the mm-hmm. middle. Those that were a little bit on lower end were still kind of in the middle. And it's just, you know, a high performer immediately was like, What do you mean you're gonna, you know, you're gonna take away my eights and my sevens? N- yeah. No one's gonna rate or, nine and ten. If you're if you're being rated nine yeah. and ten, guess what? You're in the wrong position.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to remember the industry that I've seen this in. Um, But it comes up a lot where, I wish I could remember. Oh, you know what it is? At the service center at the car dealership that I go to. So they always ask NPS and they always say Mm -hmm. to me, we'll send you out a survey afterwards. If you can give me a nine or 10, that'd be great. (laughs) (laughs) Because the other ones don't count. Literally doesn't count. (laughs) Yeah, they're like, they're, priming me to give them a nine or a 10 like and so i don't know sure i'll give (laughs) you a nine or ten yeah like (laughs) well yeah but then also and i've seen this too where at a past company we were like you know 47 and everyone's high-fiving because at that time we were (laughs) better than the competition that's i think one of the amazing things about it that it's reasons why it's so adopted is because you can benchmark not just against companies in your own industry but also outside like you could benchmark yourself against yep. apple and that was a thing where like oh we're we're better than apple at 47 but then the next one comes around it's 35 yep. <laughs> oh flip the table what's going on everything's just <laughs> totally the sky is falling like it could have just been there's less people that scored you 10 <laughs> that's it mom and dad didn't rate you this
0: week this month or this quarter right like i'm with you i'm with you um I do. I'm a, I am a big believer in being able to benchmark, uh, over time. Yeah. I just, I, again, I, I keep coming back to NPS that I don't think that's the metric that you, that you need to be benchmarking. And I think there's a lot more, yeah. there's a lot more of opportunity when you really do, um, mm-hmm. you know, really be thoughtful in the evaluative questions that you're doing, your CSAT and, and just making sure that you're being yeah. very methodical in terms of the information you're asking for to create those benchmarks. I just don't. Yeah. It fails on all three promises, man. Like it doesn't predict growth. It doesn't mean if someone is a detractor is actually not, is going to spread, you know, poor things about you your service and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But even if you are on the opposite side, it still doesn't mean people are going to recommend you. So what does it actually mean? It means Mm -hmm. nothing. And Mm -hmm. what was the final one again?
1: It was more like customer satisfaction than anything else. Like as far as a, being correlated to anything it's closer close more closely correlated to customer yeah. satisfaction
0: and just the way the conversation ended around like hey if, if you're really looking at growth you you're kind of focusing on mental availability and physical availability try to change the perception and mm-hmm. a consumer that doesn't know you that they you would be a first choice once they entered that you know the, the sure. process of buying or looking up a service or a product from you very simple
1: yeah yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I agree. Well, yeah. I mean, so if it if it doesn't meet all those rules and the one thing it's closer to is customer satisfaction. And it's and but customers customer satisfaction asks customers if they're satisfied. I would just assume soon use that. Like, I don't know why why complicate. I'm
0: it? I'm with you. I think I think you did touch on something though. It is it is because there are two thirds of Fortune five hundred companies are are using it. I would argue maybe it is a way to say, "Hey, how are we pacing against another co- another organization or the Fortune 500 company we kind of have, you know, put up?" And maybe NPS is one of those things that it's like, "Oh, look at us—we're we're great," uh, as we as we continue to grow. But I, I love that that he uh, how did he say it? It was more of a. It's, it's not a predictor of growth. It it accompanies growth. So NPS can go up as your company Mm -hmm. grows, but it's not predicting your growth. Yeah.
1: And I think that was... So just use your sales numbers.
0: Right? (laughs) He said it was what? Past (laughs) growth is a better indicator of future growth. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Mic drop. Put your pens down,
1: everyone. Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Like, I think it can... In real... To your point, there's. It can be a distraction, I think. But if you're in it and you're using it, keep going. Like I don't know if that's a hill I'm going to die on. I'm with you. But I think I would, knowing what I know now, I, I might ask questions like, "Hey, can we track performance of like revenue performance against MPS scores and see what that looks like?" Yeah, and if it. you know, and see what the numbers are, and 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 somebody can run the calculations, or or the same thing with: can we actually track whether people are rec- recommending us or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're. And then we could see the data for ourselves rather than it being told to us. You can see yeah. it and see where the value of it is, because mm-hmm. maybe you're right. Maybe it is just for benchmarking. And if it's, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, it's, I'm just. <laughs> Up in the air about this whole <laughs> metric and whether it's w- what use it has at all. <laughs> uh, that's it. Maybe, maybe its use. It's like pull it out of the annual reports.
0: If you're going to leave it in annual reports, make sure it's more of a, a metric that you're, you're you're just keeping there to be like this actually has no bearing on our performance in totality. But here's a here's our NPS for the last quarter. Yeah. Like I don't know. Yeah, there's uh, your example of you know the, the company that was losing customers but their NPS was going up. I think is for me such a such a prime example where this metric doesn't work, not even in in, in mm-hmm. potentially predicting your current state. Because if your sales are down,
1: mm-hmm.
0: your sales are down, you're hemorrhaging customers, but your NPS goes up, that becomes an con- utterly useless metric, completely
1: yeah yeah, I don't
0: know. I'm getting fired up now.
1: <laughs> yeah and so yeah, and here I am looking at this going, okay, let's talk about it and, and I don't mean this in the in a bad way at all to John. I love the work that he did on this, but I'm like, okay, let's talk about something that matters <laughs> like, totally. Not that his research doesn't, but that the NPS number is like I said before, it's I think ultimately a distraction. Well, I think it's but a lot big- of people use it, so I guess it, it, we're gonna have to stick with it for a while well
0: i would argue it's because of his research and now we can start challenging it and start you know pressure testing it a lot totally. more in organizations so like thank you to to john totally. and everyone else who's spending time and and researching this because we, now we have enough information to say you know what yeah there's not enough here to suggest that nps is any uh, is a metric that we can be used to derive any meaningful meaning from so cool moving on yeah. where are we going to focus our attention and i think being able totally. to do that is great. First of all, it's a great conversation to have. But secondly, more and more importantly, it gets you closer to the areas that you need to be focusing your attention to.
1: A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I love that feed. Yeah. Man. On that note, yeah, I think that says it all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that so, I have anything else to add on than it. I'm just like fed up with NPS.
0: Well, I wanted to pose
1: this to our listeners.
0: Can you please rate us nine and ten, please, on all the platforms that we
1: show up? <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it's only please up give to us five. A nine or ten. If yeah. you enjoy this podcast, please recommend <laughs> us to all of your friends.
0: <laughs> In all fairness, though, yeah, actually,
1: please. that's the right way to do it. Would you be willing to recommend us to all, you to your friends and family and colleagues? There you go. Give us, please, rate us a nine or ten.
0: Yes, please. <laughs> And if it's okay, any less than that, please that don't. That was
1: good, man. That was a great conversation. This was awesome. Thanks, man. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. See ya. Take care. <laughs>